That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I mean, come on. No one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and I'm still here. I also survived our broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together, because we're all out of patience. Hello there, friends, and welcome back to Out of Patience. Another quick reminder before we get started, if you like the show, I hope you do, and you're on Apple Podcasts, please give me a like a review, a rating, something. I need the validation. On the show today, Davina Fankhauser is the co-founder and executive director of Fertility Within Reach. She is one of the single most progressive patient advocates that I know, fighting for the fertility and reproductive rights of men and women across the nation for more than 15 years. You're going to learn what it takes to be one of the good lobbyists without giving yourself a heart attack. And we're going to talk about how horrible it is that infertility was deemed a disability by the U.S. Supreme Court in a 1998 ruling. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Davina Fankhauser, to Out of Patience. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I have to tell you, I love the name of the podcast. It's perfect. It's only perfect if you can read it. When you're mentioning it to people, they don't understand which patience and making the dad joke while you're explaining the show and mansplaining doesn't work. So visually, out of patience works very well. Yes, yes. Okay, that's fair. But I, I still love it. So thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to you know, connect with you on this in this platform. It's well, great. This show is an ongoing series of grievances that I, I personally have, but so many other people also personally have around the injustices and the inequities of parenthood through cancer. And it's a complicated rabbit hole that I'd like to think is a whole lot better than just kind of dying 20 years ago. But as a good problem to have, there's still nuances, and that's where you come in as not just someone who's an expert in the entire field, but someone who's doing something they actually went to college for. <laughs> yes, that is true. It's very true. Although I went to college for it, then I decided to get my master's in education and curriculum, and then I ended up not working in this field, and then kind of made my way back to putting it all together. So I have my psych major with my communications major and my curriculum, and I've just created all these educational tools and resources that people can use. They're to empower people. And um, because I am one of those who say, 
you know, yes, we can be frustrated about things and we can be mad and we can be disappointed. But the question is, what's next? You know, do you just lie in your frustration or do you try to do something about it? And, you know, when I went through infertility, I felt like I was just completely helpless. I had no control. So I really wanted to create tools that would empower people. Not everybody has to advocate. I love doing it, but not everybody does. But there are still ways that you can help yourself as you're trying to fight these injustices, especially when it comes to healthcare. So two things there. I'll start with the first one is that you mentioned your experience with infertility. Let's dive into that because, you know, most people that listen to this show are probably already in or through or have left shopping in the shit happens store. But to those maybe listening that are not out of the cancer space, but just understand how hard it is to have a baby in real life, just normally when nothing is wrong, this infertility story, I don't use the word journey. I'm sick and tired of the word journey. Your infertility nonsense, the shit you had to go through, right? Where did that start? How did you find out what was going on? I was married at 22. Side note, way too young, but I was <laughs> married at 22. That's the B-roll part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. And um, went off birth control about six months into my pregnancy because the hormones just made me crazy. Can't believe he ever married me. And um, I got off of them. And we actually, believe it or not, we were using protection to not get pregnant. And I went to the doctors with pain. And they said, you know what, you have endometriosis. If you want to have kids, you should start trying now. So at 23, newly married, we're trying to build our family. And a year later, after nothing happened, he was evaluated. He had male factor infertility. We had no insurance coverage. And we basically gave up contributing to the economy. Every vacation was a camping trip. And um, we just saved every penny to try to do IUIs. That's interuterine insemination for those listening and you're not familiar. We just had them inject the sperm into the uterus and see if anything would happen. And it didn't. Eventually, he had a surgery to correct a varicocele, which improved his overall health, but also his sperm count. And I started becoming pregnant, but like once a year. Um, I swear, I think it was because uh, it was my birthday month and the holiday, you know, December. So I don't know, we would become pregnant, but by February, we would miscarry. Um, so we knew we'd have to do IVF. And um, when we could finally afford it, it was 10 years later, literally 10 years later. And we cashed in a lot of our IRAs and any funding we had. And it was just really unbearable to have to make decisions based out of finances. So we actually did IVF in Massachusetts because I moved around a lot. And in Massachusetts, we thought we'd have coverage because there's a state mandate, but our employer was self-insured. That means there's a federal law that says small businesses and self-insured employers don't have to follow mandates. So we didn't have insurance coverage. And 
we needed to do genetic testing on the embryos because I kept miscarrying. Well, that makes you run through your money even faster. And so what happened was um, when we couldn't afford to do genetic testing anymore, we would just transfer all of our embryos. And when I say all of our embryos, I mean the amount that would make a person gasp and think you were absolutely crazy. Um, But we did this because when we did do the genetic testing, it said like 25% of our embryos were genetically normal. So I was never worried that we would end up with multiples. Um, In our fourth IVF cycle, we ended up with my daughter. We had another pregnancy after that um, where we just transferred all the embryos. We became pregnant with a singleton, but I miscarried. Turned out it was a Down syndrome, genetically Down syndrome embryo. And then our sixth IVF cycle, we transferred all of our embryos and I was, I became pregnant with triplets, which was crazy. I never believed that they would all continue um, and they did. And so we saw multiple specialists and they just basically said, if you, if you have them all, you're going to lose this pregnancy. Um, I should say, because my daughter was also born about a month early and it was a high risk pregnancy. So um, they thought it would be a fluke thing. But then when I was pregnant with all these multiples in my last cycle, they said, you know, it's your decision. You can try to go for all, but the more you carry, the earlier they'll be born. So we actually ended up doing genetic testing. We went to New York. Saw this amazing doctor who I'm so, I just love. I'm so grateful to him because really when you're doing genetic testing on three, most doctors won't do it. And he said he would. One of them didn't survive the genetic testing, but we still had twins to deal with. And his recommendation was that we do a selective reduction because it was likely since my cervix had already started to thin that I wouldn't make it you know, for the full term. And so uh, we did a selective reduction. And that is the most difficult thing um, to do when all you want to do is have kids. Um, And so we did a selective reduction and we had one. And even with all the precautions we took, uh, he was born at 28 weeks. And um, so he was in the NICU for 11 weeks. Um, he had some medical issues, but they all resolved on their own. He's amazing. And um, he's had multiple surgeries since. Uh, he was so small when he was born, he was considered disabled. So the state was a secondary insurance for us. Um, overall, it cost the employer over a million dollars in health care. So that's a lot. Yeah. It's like 11 people's stories woven into one. And if we even start to take away the emotional impact of miscarriage after miscarriage after trying, the very fact of the matter that you shouldn't have to go broke to be a biological parent is at the forefront of this entire conversation. And I've spent my entire career in oncology. I am a cancer survivor. Most people know my miracle twins through IVF. And I kind of get a BOGO because we put two in hoping to get one. And we paid one, so we got very lucky. But the idea of just infertility not caused by disease 
which is this, you know, we, we talk about iatrogenics, which is the jargony yes. word for shit happens and you're infertile versus just having trouble conceiving. I, I want your thoughts, because I know this is on the Fertility Within Reach uh, website, which we'll talk about in the second half, that there's the Supreme Court decision that ruled that infertility is a disease and should be treated and covered as such, and yet it's still fucking expensive. Discuss. Yeah. Well, they they actually they said it was a disability. They said it was a disability and um, deserves some protections. And then some subsequent course case, court cases said, but if there's a, a treatment for your disease, then you're no longer considered disabled, right? The trouble is people can't access that treatment because the treatment can cost about half of their annual income. So depending upon, you know, where you're living. And so when you don't have access to treat a disease, to overcome a disability, it's just mind boggling to me. The only reason that I think this isn't covered is because it has to do with reproductive health. What other diseases and systems of the body are just flat out denied coverage? It, it is truly an injustice. Is this a religious thing, institutional puritanical culture thing, or a toxic masculinity white guy decides everything medical system thing? Well, funny you should say that because today there was a vote on the North Dakota House floor for their fertility bill, which also included fertility preservation. And I can't tell you how many older white men stood up and said that, you know, it's none of our business to be involved in how people are trying to have a baby and that we shouldn't force businesses um, to have to get involved. And they really missed the point that this is a disease. And if the insurance companies would voluntarily offer this, we wouldn't have to go after a mandate. Right. So let's talk briefly about what possessed you, and this is just my running joke, to start a charity. Well, to make an impact, you ne I needed to have funding to do the work that I wanted to accomplish and reaching out to people. And unfortunately, most of the corporations say you have to be a 501c3 in order to receive any kind of funding or donation. And, and the truth is, I'm, I'm not you know, incredibly independently wealthy. And so I went for my 501c3 and um, became a charity really to be one of many to create this ripple effect, to make things easier. I lobbied in Massachusetts to pass their update to their infertility mandate back in um, 2008 to 2010. It became law, but I literally thought it was going to kill me. I ended up with a mild case of pericarditis, which is inflammation of the sac around the heart. Like I thought it was going to kill me. It was so stressful really doing it the majority on my own. Wait, wait. So and is is your book going to be called Don't Be a Lobbyist? Don't be a lobbyist. Oh, my God. Don't be a lobbyist alone. <laughs> you know, that's it. 
So I love working with other groups and other organizations because you're empowering other people. And, you know, really, this stuff is contagious because once you can do it in one part of your life, you learn you can really take care of things in other areas as well. So I think advocacy and empowerment is a gift. And I, I like sharing that with people. Back with our guest after the break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Let's dive into what fertility within reach does along the threads of a, if you're going to be a lobbyist, find some friends to lobby with in a tribe. There is a nice tribe around the country of women who are fighting for this. And I think we know all of them, but through the lens, and I'm going to quote this, that access to health benefits for fertility treatment. We're talking about people that are largely in their twenties and thirties, and sometimes their forties who are probably employed. So is the linchpin here employer benefits? Like where do people even learn when they click the iTunes terms of service employer agreement for health benefits that they know this is a thing that may or may not be covered? Well, I think that's a tricky question because when it comes to needing fertility care, that's it is such a personal private thing that people have a hard time asking um, their employer, do we have benefits for this? Um, it makes them a little nervous to do that. What I find is that most employers do not offer the benefits because they don't hear from people that there is a need. So there is usually coverage 
for people when it's communicated and the more people that are communicating, the better. And that's a little difficult because so many people are private about their infertility. So what we say to people is, you know, there are lots of ways to advocate for benefits. You can go through your legislator, you can go through your employer, or you can advocate with the insurance carrier as well. And with the employer, you have a stronger chance. Um, I helped a, a woman in New York. She worked for a large nonprofit. They had 1,800 employees, and they wanted benefits for fertility treatment. The great thing was there was a small group of employees who had come together and everybody had a different story. And when they went to HR, HR decided they were not only going to offer benefits, but they weren't going to put any restrictions on it because then they felt that they would be denying some of the employees that had come to them. So there was even benefits for somebody who had underwent um, gender transitioning. So it, it's really remarkable what you can accomplish even at the employer, but the employer doesn't know. You have to educate them that there's a need. So when I was running Stupid Cancer and this whole idea of young adult cancer, obviously, most of our community was employed when they were diagnosed and they didn't know that their employer benefits didn't cover this and did cover this. And yeah, if you break your leg, sure, it's free, but chemotherapy, all these bills, I, I guess I, I'm not trying to figure out an answer for everything, but it goes back to if you don't know to ask, you're at the mercy of something that you have no control over. Like you were employed, you had a job, you had a career, you, I mean, newly married, you, you still had to go through all this crap with benefits, right? Right. And, and people do, I mean, everybody, when they have a job and they have health benefits through their employer, they will receive a summary of benefits. And that summary of benefits will list infertility or not. It will also often list exclusions. And you might find in vitro fertilization or fertility preservation there. Um, hopefully you don't. If it's in neither place um, or if it's in exclusions, you really want to have that conversation with the employer. And I would really encourage people to utilize their strengths. So whether they're doing it with their partner or a group of people, if one person's better at organizing, then they can set up the meeting and coordinate. If another person's better at writing out what everybody wants to say, then have another person do that. So find your strengths, utilize your strengths and work together. So in terms of making it suck less, which has you know, kind of been my tagline this whole time, one of the many things that Fertility Within Reach offers is financial assistance, which kind of makes sense, right? But it's bizarre that we have to solve all of these injustices by everything's a GoFundMe, in a sense, starting right. a nonprofit. It's not okay. But tell us more about the stories you're hearing and who benefits from the services of your nonprofit. Well, I would say we hear from a, a variety of people. We hear from same-sex couples who are denied. We hear from somebody who's denied because of their age or somebody has premature ovarian failure. The insurance company wrongfully denied them. And then by the time they get it straightened out, they've then aged out of when they should be able to access benefits. I mean, it's just pretty sleazy. Well, actually, what people come across 
we've had to develop better legislation because I, I help co-author legislation in different states. But because of these things, these loopholes that the insurance companies are doing, I've learned to write better legislation because of it to try to close some of those loopholes. I think some of the other stories that for me are the most heartbreaking are really the fertility preservation stories. And they are not just from um, cancer patients. So for example, in Massachusetts, I lobbied the division of insurance, not the legislator, legislature, but the division of insurance to say, oocyte cryopreservation is no longer experimental. It should be covered in within fertility. And they verified it with ASRM and they agreed. Acronym alert, ASRM. American Society for Reproductive Medicine. Thank you. And, and they confirmed that I was correct. What then happened was I met with all the fertility clinics in Massachusetts and we came up with suggested guidelines for the insurance carriers to use. Now, this was the first attempt and this was back in 2012. It ended up becoming that Massachusetts, without legislation, the major insurers voluntarily offered fertility preservation, but they did it for iatrogenic infertility. Big word. Big word. Which means they offered it if you had cancer and became infertile, not if you were sort well, of congenitally infertile? Co well, correct. But also, basically, if you had treatment, medical treatment, that caused you to be infertile, you then had iatrogenic infertility. It was caused by medical care or medical treatment. And that's what they covered, but they didn't cover if you just happened to be congenitally infertile. Or it, yes, if you had premature ovarian failure, they wouldn't allow you to preserve your fertility when you were younger. If you had a BRCA gene mutation, they would not cover for you to preserve your eggs prior to um, removing your ovaries. If they would, what they were doing with iatrogenic infertility is they were making people prove that they were infertile by making them, when they stopped treatment temporarily, they would have to try for one year if they were under 35. That's horrible. It was really horrible. So that's why when I do legislation going forward, I don't have the word iatrogenic in there at all. So let, let's go back to listeners sure. that are nodding their heads or enraged or say, I want to do this. I want to be Davina when I grow up. Like, let's 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 chase that. Let's 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 go down that rabbit hole. We, we were joking to don't be a lobbyist unless you had a tribe. Let's say someone wants to aspire. And again, there are several Davinas. We've interviewed all of them on this show before. Um, Alice Creasy and Joyce Reinecke and Barb Kalor, like names that we can all aggregate it to one giant. These are the women to know if you're going to try to lobby and know what the hell it means to argue with the horrible lobby groups against us. But what does it really take? Who? Where, what should someone do on day one to say, I want to help flip some kind of mandate in my state? Well, I think they need to start looking at what exists already. I did this with a wonderful um, woman, Christina Julia in Colorado. She was, um, I was working with her about doing legislation in Colorado. And she let me know there was another group that had a Facebook page. And I said, oh, 
Well, let's try to combine with them and then become one whole group and be, you know, get your outreach even further. So I believe in people working together because there are more than 7 million people in the United States with infertility. There is not one organization out there that is going to reach and help everyone. So if somebody, let's say you're in North Carolina and you want to have legislation in your state, I would say first do some Google Google searching. Are there currently any efforts in that state going on? If there are, try to communicate and join in. And if there isn't, then utilize resources that are out there that are ready to help you because they are. So Fertility Within Reach has information on communicating with legislators. Resolve does. There are so many different organizations who want to help. Um, I think connecting with existing organizations and learn from what worked for them and what didn't work for them. You know, try to have a conversation that also fits your needs and your schedule. You know, I hear from people all the time who want to make a difference. It's just them. They only know themselves. And so I have to let them know it is a lot of work. I will provide you with every resource possible. And these are the next steps that you can do. And I'll tell you right now, one is to create a Facebook page and try to grow your group. Um, Tennessee Fertility Advocates, they started last summer. They did a Facebook page. Uh, they have over 3,500 people um, that are following them and are being active advocates. So I think really creating a safe space to get other people to join your effort is one of the first things that you can do that's going to be in the best interest for the movement that you want to create. It's the very definition of grassroots advocacy done for the right things. All right, one final question. On your LinkedIn, it says you're a government affairs strategist, and that's kind of ominous. And are you really Liam Neeson? How does that, <laughs> what does that mean? So whether it's fertility legislation or that I'm helping other groups try to figure out a strategy to accomplish policy change, to really figure out the best approaches to win and secure policy change, whatever topic that may be. Davina Fankhauser is the co-founder and executive director of Fertility Within Reach, fighting for your right to be a biological parent so you then have the opportunity to spend a quarter million bucks in diapers. Good luck with that. Thank you for coming in out of patience. Thank you so much. It was great. That's all for today, folks. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Brianna Seeley, Jen Orange, and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seeley. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.